Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to From Dull Square to Where. And welcome to all of the worldwide Arsenal fans. And thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to the audio version. Um, and I really appreciate all of you very, very much. Now, I wasn't going to do a show this week. I haven't been uh, in the best of health lately. Uh, but I couldn't resist because I've been listening to a lot of Arsenal podcasts, as I do. And listening to all of them on a weekly basis. And... I've just been so unbelievably shocked by a lot of the questions that come into the Arsenal podcast. And it's just unbelievable the way that there's a lot of negativity surrounding Mikel Arteta. Now, the fact that he's only been in the post since, well, his first game's on Boxing Day which was 41 days ago. And it just staggers me that people can't quite understand what he's had to deal with and how impressive the turnaround has been in such a short space of time. So I just wanted... Well, I couldn't resist doing a show today. And it's an unusual one because I haven't arranged any guests. I've chosen to do it on my own anyway. But this is a... You can be the star episode. So get involved on the comments section. Tell me what you think about what I'm going to be saying. If you wanted to, and you're the most interactive person on the message board today, then you can come and join me on the show and you can tell me your opinions on everything that uh, I've got scheduled to talk about today. But um, I have had a look as well on some of the uh, hashtag Arteta out on Twitter. Now, I'm just going to quickly flick to the uh, Twitter screen, so I think you can probably still see me anyway. I can't see you now, just for a moment. But uh, there's a few here. Kamada, which is at Danny Ugo Chukwu. I'm sorry, but Arteta out. Hashtag Arteta out. He's a spineless bastard. Bench, Alexander and Ozil. We should have just stuck with Freddie. Think <laughs> That's just one of them. There's a few others here. Um, RB and B. At Finesse like Pepe. Poor team selection again. Don't understand what he sees in Lacazette. Um, and Nicolas Pepe. Hashtag Arteta out. Um, we are a mediocre club. Thank you, Kronk. Arteta out. Kronk out. Ozil out. Arteta out. Kronk out. Ozil out. Who's at RIP the Arsenal. Arteta should be sacked for picking Ozil every week. Shit manager. Hashtag Arteta out. And he's actually added Mikel Arteta into that. HHHH. Who is at I am a gunner mate. Hashtag Arteta out. Fucking Ozil and Lacazette still playing for Arsenal. And Pepe gets no minutes. 
Arnold Betu, who is at Arnold Betu. It is stupid for Arteta to bring Willock and leave Sabayos on bench. Arteta out. Hashtag. Um, Connor McGlash, 18, who is at McGlash, 18. One out of seven wins in league games. Arteta out. Oh, he has declined an offer for Ozil to leave because we can't replace him. Go do one. Sell Ozil, sell Lacazette. Arteta out. Get it trending, guys. I mean, I could go on, but I'm not going to. Now, we're all a we're all part of the Guna family, and I respect all your all these guys. If you are, um, I'm just doing it, Glenn. Just doing it now. Now, I respect all of you guys. Um, opinions that I've just read out but what you've got to take into account is that you are brain dead fucking dickheads okay so it just right I'm going to go through a few of my points on this now as I said um, he's been in situ for 41 days now in that time he has had to deal with an awful lot regarding the team as well now it's done glenn it's done have a look on twitter mate um so he's had to deal with a makeshift back four a team that was so low on confidence and it was just well we all saw what it was like in the latter days of unai emery um Thank you, Stan. Very nice shirt, I know. Have a look at the back. See if I can turn, turn around a sec. Hinkley Guna. So, yeah. Um, he's had to, yeah, obviously completely change the mentality of the team. Now, been joined by the Glen Meister. Can I hear you today, Glen? No. What is wrong? What is wrong? I can't hear you. I don't know. Can anyone else hear Glenn? If you are in the uh, the chat box, can you hear Glenn? Because I can't. So it's really annoying. Um, so I'll carry on. So yeah, he's had to deal with a makeshift back four. He's had to deal with that mentality issue. Um, he's had to completely change the way that we play football. And... I think it's, it's plain for everyone to see that the changes that he's made just in that short space of time have been absolutely phenomenal. The fact that he is having to deal with that and also the young players coming into the team. And I can't see one single player that has played under Arteta so far who hasn't massively improved as a player in that short space of time. Now, maybe it's just a mentality thing that he's changed and that has really affected their performances. Um, but overall, every single player from the, the back to the front has improved. Now, there is an exception and that's um, Lacazette. Now, we all know that he's really struggling, but God knows that he has been really, really trying to get his form back. How about now? Can't hear you, Glenn. 
I don't know what's going on. Don't know what. Can everyone else hear Glenn? Can anyone else? No, he's gone again. But um, yeah, so he's had to deal with uh, a massively, massively out of form Lacazette as well. Now, one of our misfiring uh, strikers, who was our player of the year last season, you can't account for the fact that he has been so badly out of form. And that's another thing that he's had to deal with. Now, we had a really, well, supposedly easy run throughout November and December, uh, the early part of December, with the easiest part of our season so far. Now, Mikel Arteta didn't join during that period. He joined in the worst part of the season, not only for the amount of games that we had, thick and fast. It, I mean, it's just relentless over the Christmas period. So Mikel Arteta's had to deal with that. And the fact that he hasn't been able to spend too much time on the training pitch actually sorting out his own style and way of um oh danny so you actually heard him maybe it's just me then i don't know what's going on with regards to uh stream lately i had some problems with it in the last show that i did as well but um yeah very weird hopefully he'll come back on again in a minute um but so he's had a, a long lot to deal with with regards to the period that he took over being uh, relentless. Also, the amount of um, quality opposition that we've had to face. He's had to face Chelsea twice in his quick succession, obviously Man United as well. It wasn't the easy run that um, we had under the latter part of Unai Emery. So I'm absolutely sick to death of people being so narrow-minded, short-sighted and criticising Mikel Arteta because we haven't won enough matches throughout his tenure so far. We haven't lost a lot either. And if, a lot of these games that we've been drawing, yes, of course, it's not exactly ideal. But we could have won most of those games. We all know that. And when Mikel Arteta actually joined... We, a lot of people all over Twitter were saying, right, we've got to, how many times have you heard this phrase? This is a big pre-season now for Mikel Arteta so that he can get to know the squad and we can actually have a look at um, refreshing the So he, he will know exactly the strengths and weaknesses of every player in the team and he will know which players he wants to go after in the summer. That's been a big, big um, factor in loads of podcasts that I've been listening to and watching. Um, it's been said so often that it's a pretty big, long pre-season now. So why are people now criticising Mikel Arteta after every match that we're playing? I just, I just don't get it. Are they not seeing the improvements that I'm clearly seeing every game that we're playing at the moment? It's just so fucking frustrating that people are so short-sighted so i mean going back to to front of, of the the team can you imagine if under unai emery he had to field i mean going back just a few short weeks his back four would have been maitland niles uh mustafi louise or socrates whichever one you want to choose and bukayo saka as a left back I mean, we would have probably... I mean, we were letting uh, teams have 30 shots a match against us. Can you imagine what it would have been with that back four? 
so Michelotti hasn't had a back four to speak of since he joined the club. Now, it's been magnificent the way that uh, Bukayo Saka, I'm going to come on to him a bit later, uh, has taken to the role and his willingness to adapt his game and not complain about having to play the left-back role. And the way, I mean, I, I, I sort of tongue-in-cheek put on Twitter after his first game as a left-back that have we found the new Ashley Cole? Because he started off as a forward and became probably, well, I, I think, in my opinion, he was the best left-back in the world at one point. Um, so I could see quite easily that Bukayo Saka could, if he wanted to be, become one of one of the best left backs in the league, and potentially in Europe. The way that he's progressing, he's 18 years old, and he's been absolutely immense. And his relationship that he stru struck up with another 18-year-old on the left-hand side with Gabriel Martinelli has been nothing short of fantastic and so exciting for the future. So, yeah, so I'm going to leave the left-back there. As I said, cross the whole of the back four, apart from that one mistake, which, yeah, I ranted about the same as anyone else, but um, that... Mustafi made against Chelsea. It was another Mustafi, just Mustafi again. But apart from that, Mustafi has been magnificent as well under Arteta. The one thing that was um, sort of accused of the the back four, especially under Emery, was that these players are uncoachable. I went on to the excellent Ars Brothers podcast at that point and uh, before Arteta was appointed and I said there's absolutely no way that these players aren't coachable I said the fact that we are conceding so many shots was because of the lack of protection to the back four and I've always been a fan of David Luiz I've said that right from the start and I said that he is not as bad a player as he was showing in the early days under Unai Emery when he joined in the summer, David Luiz. It's the fact that he has never played in such a dysfunctional team and he was getting no protection whatsoever and all of a sudden he joined a team that was allowing the midfield of the opposition and the forwards to just run at the, the defenders and just pepper the goal with shots non-stop and it was bound to panic any defender in the world and I would say 100% hi Glenn apparently the people watching Glenn can hear you really but for some reason I can't so it's you 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 so it's a real shame I'll have to listen back to the recording I guess just to hear you <laughs> everybody call I don't know what I'm going to do Glenn because I, I it's such okay. an annoying situation I can't hear you myself Wait, wait, I got... But, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> For those sorry. that are listening to the audio later, Glenn just stuck <laughs> his middle finger up at me. I'm sorry. And he's laughing away. But, sorry. Oh, so, so irritating, Glenn. I really uh, wish I could hear you. Let me just, uh, just double check. Double check it. Uh, 
No, no, no. Right. Hello? No, I just tried to see whether there was anything I could press just to see if I could change anything at my end. Okay. Um, I'll see you later. Anyway, there's nothing really I can press. But, yeah. Go on. Really sorry, Glenn. I, I just... We'll have to get this sorted offline. If you are available when the show finishes... Yes. Perhaps we can jump on and we can see whether we can sort something out. Yes, mate. yes, yes. Take care, mate. That's a shame. That is a shame. Hello, Ray. Thank you for coming in and watching. Thank you, Danny, the GFP, one of my heroes of the podcasting world. Um, love your show. Burkamp Wonderland. Absolutely fantastic. Um, thank you, Stan. Thank you, Guna Jace. It is such a shame that I couldn't hear Glenn because I would have liked him to have joined. I don't know if Danny, you've got any advice on that, whether you've had that situation before where uh, everyone else can hear someone and you can't actually running the, the podcast. Maybe you can put a note on there for me, give me any ideas. But anyway, so... Regarding the back four, I mean, look at the turnaround in that since Arteta's taken charge. It looks like a completely different, competent defensive unit. Um, that hasn't happened just by chance. That is purely down on work on the coaching. Uh, this, this is the situation now with the winter break that we've got. That This is really the first time that he's going to be able to spend some quality time with the players actually working on his you know the way of playing his style of play what he wants to do with them because since he's joined he's had a match every sort of three four days and it's been literally preparing for the game having a uh, wind uh, sort of a wind down session the day after a match um have the players probably have a day off then um training then there's some more light training getting pretty for the next match. So there's very, very little time that he's had between matches so far to actually work specifically on his style of play with the, with the, the squad. So this winter break, as much as I'm hating it already, and it's only just started because I can't, I, I just don't, I hate missing out on football throughout the, the, you know, the season. I hate international breaks. I just miss Arsenal matches and, you know, personally, I love the fact that there's uh, games every three or four days. Um, but this two-week break, putting my selfishness aside, is going to be fantastic for Arteta and the squad to have a bit of time to actually work on things on the training pitch. So, I've tried that, Danny, by the way. Thank you. Uh, going out and uh, in again on the last show, it didn't work at all. So I, I I don't know don't know what the situation is there I've never had a problem with that uh, in the past so it's a bit a bit of an odd one but thanks anyway Danny um, now with the yeah uh, Ray there are some games this weekend but ain't the Arsenal so I ain't interested uh, <laughs> um, so regarding the the way that he's improved the players and the transfer window we've just had. At first, I was really thinking along the lines of, with the Cedric Suarez signing, what on earth is, it, is that the idea behind that? And yes, we've already 
always known that um, we could do with some more depth in the fullback positions, but with the way Saka's taken to the role and the way that um, Maitland-Niles sort of handled the situation in Bellerin's absence, I just thought it was an odd one. But I have come round to the idea, um, but it still leaves the question about Maitland-Niles and what this means for him, because he's come on in leaps and bounds, and I think he's even he stepped up a, a notch uh, under Arteta as well, in my opinion. And my thoughts on him, and this is based on just nothing apart from my own opinion, is that I'm wondering whether Arteta is perhaps coaching him now to be the opposite of what Granit Xhaka is doing, filling in at left-back, when Saka is bombing on down the, the, the wing. As we've all known, that Granit Xhaka has, has dropped back and sort of filled in uh, sort of the left part of the defence just to cover him whilst he's going on his marauding runs up the pitch. I'm wondering whether AMN has got that role earmarked for him on the opposite side. Now, I know Torreira's there as well, but just in a bit of extra depth from when Torreira's out or when Torreira um, needs a break or you know, during the Cup games and the Europa League. We've got a lot of games coming up once the Europa League starts back up again in, in a couple of weeks' time. I'm wondering whether he's, uh, he, he's earmarking him for that because one thing that we lack as a midfield unit is very much someone with a lot of pace who could be a box-to-box -box type of midfielder as well. And I've always I've had this concern about Maitland-Niles about his lack of, of sort of technical ability on the ball being his sort of uh, downfall as to whether he could be a good midfield player. I think he's got all the attributes to be a fantastic wing-back or, or right-back if he sort of knuckled down and learnt the role. But I've had this slight doubt about um, his technical ability. But under Arteta, that's not an insurmountable problem. And I think he's that good a coach. And I think he could probably improve him sort of dramatically over the uh, the coming months and, and seasons ahead. And I'm wondering whether he's, uh, trained, he's being trained in the background now because he wasn't in the squad at all, which is a bit of a shame, really, at the weekend against Burnley because we could have done with him after Saka went off injured. Um, whether a AMN's taking a knock or something, I don't know. But maybe behind the scenes, that is what he's got in earmark for him and maybe he's already started the coaching on that. I don't know, it's just a theory, but... Because of the way that he wants to play midfield, he feels comfortable in midfield as a player, in, in himself. And the fact that he has got this experience now of, best part of, uh, over a year, uh, as playing as a right-back. Whether that might be an ideal sort of situation for Maitland-Niles. If it works out, it could save us a fortune in the marketplace. He's got the, the physical presence. He's got the speed, like I said. Uh, which will be really helpful in, in sort of recovery speed. Um, so if he could uh, just hone those skills uh, a bit better, like I said, technically on the ball, to get out of tight situations, to be a bit more sort of uh, press resistant, 
because that's where I see him at the moment, potentially sort of um, being a little bit weak, maybe uh, sort of losing the ball uh, could be an, a bit of a worry for me uh, in, in the current situation. But if he could improve on that, then we could, you know, I've been a massive admirer and I've said on several occasions that I would love to for us to get Thomas Party as a player. Maitland-Niles is very sort of uh, is similar in stature, um, in pace, and if he could if he could take to that role, maybe he's our Thomas Party. Also leads leads me on to Joe Willock. Now, loads of criticism for Joe Willock as well. Now he was a player that was pretty much ruined early the early part of this season in my opinion under Unai Emery he was asked to play in different roles across the pitch uh, across the centre of the park sometimes he was deep sometimes he was further forward sometimes he was on the right sometimes he was on the left and then when it got to the stage where he was hooked off twice within a week at half time for a young player that is deeply damaging um, you should never have done that. That was a terrible, terrible thing for Unai Emery to do, in my opinion. It must have ruined the, the kid's confidence. I see a very special player in um, Joe Willock, and his skill set is something we just don't have in any other player. Now, my theory with Joe Willock is that he needs to bulk up a bit. He is... Um, He's a bit. He's, he's very tall. He's a lot taller than you think. I think um, he's over six foot, but he's not strong enough still. And I think in not next season potentially. Now I think that uh, I was listening to the most recent Ask Brothers podcast today, and they said about Joe Willock perhaps going on loan next year. I wouldn't have um, wanted that at all because I I love the the player. I love the he's. he's Sort of his directness is just, just fantastic. The way he just runs at players, but it might not be a bad idea because I think that he needs to improve physically, get a good run of games, and this is another thing. This is a one more, uh, more thing that we haven't seen the best of Joe Willett because he, he, and I keep saying this about so many players uh, over the last few weeks and months that. And I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record, but players need a good run of games to get their match fitness, sharpness, and their you know basically their form. They need to they need a good run of games to get their form and to sort of really get up to, up to speed with the league and the, and the team and the players that they're playing with around them. He's never had that again. He's another player that doesn't get that. He. It's only been a sort of a bit part player here and there, coming on as a sub or starting the match and getting hauled off and then not playing again the next week. And it, it, should not, it's, it's just too bitty. And so he needs to bulk up a bit strength-wise and get that run of games, get that confidence. And he um, would probably benefit from going out on loan next season. But I honestly think that in, in a couple of year, uh, seasons' time, not next season, but 
season 21 to 22 that he will be ready and he will be a really, really important player for us moving forward, um, Joe Willett. But he just needs that bit more of a development um, to sort of, like I said, just, just to get his strength, get his um, confidence and to really sort of uh, define uh, a role on the pitch uh, specifically and really concentrate on that role. Whether that, I see, I don't see him as a number ten specifically. I see him probably more as a, a a number eight. But he would work really well at the moment and moving forward. I think as part of a midfield three, um, and he could be a real sort of a, a, a box to box type of player as well. Um, now. Date, I can't even say that. Data, KLBC, I think you've been on a, another podcast uh, recently I was listening to. People are blaming Unai for Joe Willock not being that good. Get a grip on reality. <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever, mate. I'm not blaming that at all. I just think that he <laughs> made a terrible decision by hauling him off twice within a week at half-time. So if you think that um, I'm blaming him and the fact that you're saying that he's not that good, I don't uh, think you've got a grip on reality personally anyway. Um, so with regards to uh, the criticism, again, going back to Arteta specifically, the things that he's had to deal with as well, sort of coming in, as I said, on Boxing Day, uh, with a difficult run of games, coming thick and fast. He's not only had to deal with that, but he's also had to deal with, very early on, Callum Chambers, who was leaning on um, big time when he, he took over. Obviously, he had a career, uh, career season-ending injury, I should say. That's obviously uh, difficult. Two of the games he's had to deal with players being sent off. One of them, his main scorer and captain. The guy who was really uh, going to be tasked with sort of taking over that mantle and scoring the goals um, in Aubameyang's absence, being massively off form. And like I said, it was through no lack of trying from Lacazette up until, I'd say, the Burnley game. Uh, he, he, didn't, he wasn't showing anything in the Burnley game, really. Even the hard work that he had been doing previously, especially against Chelsea, etc. Um, you can't account for how badly out of form Lacazette is at the moment. Now, he, in my opinion, needs to have a few games out of the limelight. I'm wondering whether the issues he's had sort of off the pitch in his personal private life has affected him a bit more than people like to think. Because let's, let's face it, us fans don't really take into account things that are happening to these humans. Um, foot, professional footballers are still human. They still have problems in their personal life. Um, if you don't know what Lacazette's problems have been, off the pitch uh, over the last month or so, then just Google it. It's there for all to see. Um, and 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be difficult to cope with and it probably has affected his form. Um, now, Unamankev, uh, in the comments section, he deserved to be hauled off, maybe watch the games. I watched the games very, very closely, mate, thank you very much, but there's a difference between hauling a player off at 45 minutes and perhaps hauling a player off after 60 minutes. Just saying. It's a completely different situation for that player. If you are hauled off at half-time, twice within a week, then it's, it's severely damaging to your confidence. What difference really would it have made to let him start the second half, take him off after 60, which is very, very common for substitutions to take place at that sort of 60-minute um, mark. It's massively different to that player's confidence. You can actually tell the player, I'm going to take you off for around 60 minutes. But it also gives that player an extra 15 minutes after half time to really try and affect the game that bit more than he was in the first half. And it really could potentially up that player's game. It's just good management. Um, so there you go. That's my thoughts on that. Um, so, yeah. Regards to um, the signings, I know I keep going off on tangents, but I think it's important ones and it's sort of reacting to the comments that are coming in as well. With regards to the um, Cedric Suarez signing, I have sort of um, sort of come around to that way of thinking. It did give me that it's a good signing. I think I've um, listened to a lot of uh, people that know a lot more about Cedric Suarez than I do and there's not a lot of uh, bad things I've heard about him as a player. He's not going to be, uh, you know, a world-class star. But I don't think that a football club has to have world-class superstars in every single position. I think it's a lot of it is down to having good squad depth and players that you can rely on to come into uh, those positions. And the fact that he can play left-back and right-back is going to be really useful because we have been really short um, in those positions. Now, I haven't heard anything as yet about so the severity of um, Saka's injury. I just hope that he's back after this uh, winter break. Um, and it's going to be interesting when Kieran Tierney's sort of back in full training in March, uh, what the situation will be uh, when he's fully fit and ready to start games. Uh, hi, Alex. Can of follow TV? Thank you for joining us. That's fantastic. Um, good to see you there. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see when Kieran Tierney is ready to start, uh, what's going to happen with um, Saka. Now, he, you know, I'm sure that he prefers to play further forward. But, um, obviously, with Martinelli there, it would be interesting to see whether he can displace... Yeah, it'd just be fighting for with his mate for for that for, sort of front position if Kieran Tierney's going to come in and make that sort of left-back slot his own. Now, I'm looking forward, personally, to seeing Kieran Tierney. He was very much my favourite signing of the summer. Um, really disappointed when he went out injured as well. Uh, he looked, in the few games that he has played, bearing in mind that he wasn't fully up to speed and, and sort of match fit himself at that point, 
he already shown us that his crossing ability is uh, absolutely fantastic. He's, he's far better than um, Klasnach on, on the left-hand side with his crossing. I mean, Klasnach just literally doesn't bother looking up and, and seeing who's in the box. He just sort of uh, keeps his head down and just sort of blasts the ball into the box. Uh, hardly ever beating the first man um, when he puts the ball in there. Very rarely, anyway. And Kieran Tierney... It was just a different world. He just looked up and he actually found the man. He, he picked out a person and sort of hit their head perfectly. Uh, none better than Martinelli's first goal for the club. Um, I think it was against Nottingham Forest, I think, when he sort of picked him out pin perfect and Martinelli sort of hit the back of the net with that fantastic header. So, <laughs> Glenn... Um, Saying Alex is here, I'm no swearing, Andrew. Well, let's say this is my stomping ground. I can do what I like, Glenn, and Alex will have to put up with it. But no, it's before the watershed, so I'll keep it to a minimum. Um, moving on up the pitch a little bit, I want to talk about Enketio um, as well. He's been getting a, a bit of grief, and a lot of people have been saying they don't see a future for him um, long term at Arsenal. Now, I, I beg to differ on that one. I, I, we all love Ian Wright. He's all probably one of all the you know favourite players. That's um, a real sort of our, uh, Arsenal fan at heart, uh, especially people of my sort of generation. Now, he has seen an awful lot in in Eddie Nketiah. I have seen an awful lot in Eddie as well. And I think that um, he's got a real talent um, for being a goal poacher. Now, if we have him in the team, and I hope we do see a lot more of him in the team, and I think that obviously Mikel Arteta has seen an awful lot of Eddie in training as well to stop him from going out on loan again the second half of the season. And I see in Eddie a, very much, and I've said this again, said it before, so apologies for repeating myself, but I see a young Ian Wright in Eddie, not in sort of, you know, stature and that sort of stuff, but, or even specifically playing style, but the way he moves in the box and the way that he's got a knack of finding that little bit of space in the box, arriving in the box at the right time, creating that little bit of space. And I hate, I hate this phrase, um, but the fox in the box, which is what we were really searching for, um, you know, what we have been searching for for a long time, and what, you know, Arsene Wenger, uh, you know, coined that phrase when we um, bought, oh, his name's gone completely out of my head, old Jug Ears from Everton, who um, didn't work out very well. What's his name? Oh, it's gone completely out of my head. My brain's gone to mush. But, um, yeah, we bought him thinking he was going to be that um, player. But I see Eddie being that type of guy. And I think he's just got a, a, a knack that you can't teach. It's very rare that you can teach that sort of knack of being in the right place at the right time in the box. I see Eddie being a very valuable player who could score an awful lot of goals, probably nearly all of them from around the six-yard box. And if we give him that role specifically and tell him 
don't worry about you know make sure that he's doing his pressing it's it's hard sort of closing down on all the defenders and the goalkeeper but so don't worry about tracking back you know like um thank you franny jeffers um alex yeah, don't worry about tracking back. Like Alex Lacazette is doing at the moment, dropping too deep to collect the ball. Just forget that. Just stay on the last shoulder of the last defender and just get be there. Just score the goal. Just be in the box. Whenever we, and if we have the players around him, on the right and left, whether that's going to be Martinelli and Pepe and just feeding him the ball, I can see Eddie being a, a 20 to, to 30 goal a, a season goal scorer, no problem. Now, this the issue we've got is what we do in the summer with Aubameyang and Lacazette. Now, everyone's talking about whether we cash in, uh, whether we can sort of make uh, some decent money back on those those guys to actually start rebuilding the squad etc etc and how many minutes Eddie's actually going to get because once again I have to say you're not going to see the best of any player until they get a run of games that's going to be the issue for Eddie getting that run of games at the moment so we are going to start getting into the, the business end of the season very, very soon after the winter break with the Europa League starting up again. Eddie will undoubtedly get minutes throughout the cup competitions, uh, Europa League, etc. But maybe, depending on what we're going to do with Aubameyang and Lacazette in the summer, maybe we should, along with Willock, send Eddie out on loan to a Premier League side next season. I'd rather he stay in the, in the, uh, in, in the division possibly championship but I'd rather see Willock and Eddie get some Premier League game time you know a club similar to sort of you know like a, a Bournemouth who play good quality football see how they get on and just to hone their skills really under a, a good manager that plays decent football I think that'd be ideal because along with Willock who I mentioned earlier, I've just seen a um, message from you, Glenn, saying, did you talk about Willock yet? Yes, I did. And yes, I do agree that he needs to go out on loan. I didn't, but I do now. And I think Eddie would do uh, the world good himself. We, like I said, we probably do, do need him the rest of the season. But next season, I think he could go out on loan because I, I, I do really want to hold uh, on to Nketiah. People who say that he won't have a, a future at the club, I don't agree with. I do think that he has got a good future at the club. And I think that he's got a lot of goals in him in long term, personally. So, yeah, I, I we'd have to slightly, I don't know, not adapt the, the playing style to, to put Eddie in the team. But just tell him. Don't worry, don't drop too, don't drop deep to pick up the ball and sort of do all the uh, the work that Lacazette's trying to, to do. Lacazette's been working his socks off to try and work his way out of this terrible dip in form and it's just not working for him. And whenever we, when, when Aubameyang's been out of the team and Lacazette stepped in, 
Lacazette hasn't been in the box to score goals because he's just been dropping too deep. So it just hasn't been working for him. He needs some time out of the team. And I'm wondering whether it'd be worthwhile sticking Eddie in there whenever, yeah, maybe for the last half an hour of a match. And just giving him this, this bit of game time so that when we do play him in the Europa League or FA Cup uh, moving forward, he's that little bit more match sharp. But he, at the moment, I would say, would be much more beneficial to the team playing though, coming on for those last 20, 30 minutes, not four minutes like he did against Burnley. What was, uh, there was no point in that rather than, I mean, I don't know what... That was one of Arteta's um, uh, mistakes. But, yeah, giving him an extra half an hour in the Premier League to sort of um, get him sharp, get him a bit more match fit so that uh, he can be ready to start these Europa League games. Because I I think that that game he played against Bournemouth and the goal he scored just typified the way that he knows where to be at the right time in the box. And... I'm almost certain that he'll be a 20 to 30 goal a season striker just by doing the tap-ins, tap-in after tap-in after tap-in in the box as long as he's fed by good wide players and we've got good wide players now. Now that leads me on to Pepe and the criticism he receives winds me up just as much as the criticism of Arteta to be perfectly honest I going back to the issues that um, Lacazette may be having or is having off the pitch that may be affecting his form on the pitch I think potentially Pepe is having similar issues and I personally think that, again, that we, we do tend to forget that these players are human and players sort of can react to situations in completely different ways, the same as we all do as we go through life. And maybe, and I said quite early on, we probably won't see the best of Pepe until next season. But the fact that people don't think he's affecting games at the moment is wrong. Even if he's not scoring um, goals or producing these world-class moments in matches every game, it doesn't mean that he's not affecting the game positively because how often have you seen Pepe with the ball and he's got two or three guys around him any, any one time because he's dangerous? And how many times have you seen him being chopped down with these scissor-like tackles, dangerous tackles all the time. Players of the opposition teams only do that because they see him as a massive threat. And by doing, just by him being on the pitch at the, uh, at the, um, at the time, it drags players out of position and creating space for others. Now, I've seen an awful lot of Pepe so far this season that just makes you say that guy is a special talent and 
I honestly have to think to myself that if play, if us fans are watching these games and can't see that in Pepe, then you don't really know what a talented player is because it's it's there for all to see, and he's only showing it in flashes. He's not sort of adapted as quick as we would have all liked to the Premier League. But it is a big adaption for him to make. And we must remember he's still only a young man. And it may be the fact that it's coming into the Premier League and settling in is just taking him that bit longer. But I, I, I've been saying for, like I said, quite a while, that I don't think we'll see the best of him until next season. And I stick by that. Anything we get out of him this season, which we have been, he's got five five goals uh, already. I think he's uh, one of our, which doesn't say a lot this season, but he's one of our top assist makers. And um, you know, I, I don't look at all these. I'm quite an old-fashioned guy. I don't look at all this, the stats and the xG and all that bollocks. But you know, you can see on on the. Um, that I, I hear on podcasts all the time about his his dribbling abilities. He's very high up on the the stats radar for that, and he's positively affecting matches. And people have mentioned quite a few times that Emery wasn't starting him very often, leaving him out the team. Jungberg was, and Arteta against Burnley. Uh, didn't start him, didn't bring him off the bench and saying, well, if three managers are not playing him, then what's wrong with Pepe? I I just honestly think it is the the step up in the intensity of the training, of the matches uh, and of the Premier League in general is taking him longer to adapt to and the role he's playing or has been playing with Arsenal has been quite an isolated one and a very different one to the way that he was playing for Lille. And he's not been given the same amount of space or he's not been able to create a partnership on the right-hand side the way that Saka and Martinelli have created a, a partnership very quickly. He hasn't had that with Arsenal so far. It's been very... Chop and changey for him. He's had Chambers on the right, uh, a right back. He's had uh, Maitland Niles, obviously, and just very recently, uh, Bellerin's come back into the team, and he hasn't had any time at all to create any kind of partnership with uh, with Bellerin. So, what he's had to do with um, uh, since he's been with Arsenal is pretty much be on his own and try and create things on his own, and. I don't think that's really his game. I've said uh, uh, on previous podcasts, I would love to see him in a in a free role in the front three. And for Arteta to say, you know, start off on the right-hand side, but just don't stick to the right-hand side. Just do what you, you want. Just drift from left to right. The he can, he can swap every now and then with the whoever's playing on the left. And... Just be a free spirit and across the front of the team because I think that if he just sticks to the right hand side, he would just be too predictable cutting in on his left all the time. Now, I think he can do that, and I think he can very much be 
an Iron Robin, a type of player who made a massive, massively successful career out of doing exactly the same thing um, for Bayern Munich. But and if that if that's literally what he's told to do, I'm sure he'll be still be very successful once he's adapted. But I think it'll just be a waste of his talents just to tie him up on the right. I think he should just be able to drift. And long term, I see him being able to play in the position where Mesut Ozil is playing at the moment. Not as a specifically a number 10, but just playing just behind the, the front strikers and just being able to turn and drip, literally just dribble. You know, the, the way that he can just do these 180 degree turns, bamboozle the, the guy who's trying to mark him and just take off. And I, I see that if he can sl sort of slip into a more of a central role every now and then throughout the match, then he'll be just for incredibly frightening to for any defender to, to face. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see that because of, I don't want him being easy to read as a player, put it that way. But just give Pepe time and just let him settle, get off his back. And I see him as well. And again, I'm not basing this on anything, but I see him as quite a shy guy personally and I'm wondering whether whether he's sort of within the changing room within the, the squad whether he's being a bit of a uh, I don't know be a bit of a loner and maybe it'd just be one of those types of people that does take a little bit of time to sort of be welcomed into a sort of a, a social group situation whether the, the players are uh, see, I, I, I think before, again, under Emery, there, there was a bit more of a clicky situation in the Arsenal changing room. And I think that seems to be changing quite quickly under Arteta as well. I think there's much more of a, a team squad mentality. You can see that when we, we're scoring goals. Um, you know, the way that David Luiz has come on and really sort of starting to show himself as a, a true leader on the pitch which I always thought he was, but he, he's showing that now to everyone. Uh, the way that, you know, Granite Jack has obviously turned around. Um, and hopefully that's really changing, um, whereby we, we are becoming a, a one-for-all, all-for-one type of squad, you know, and, and having that in the changing room, I, I think that's a very, very powerful thing to have. And I, I can see that on the pitch, that uh, that is getting better and better as the weeks go by. And hopefully that will help Pepe sort of uh, integrate within the team as well. Um, let's have a look with some of these uh, comments before I get too far behind with them. Um, where are we? Yeah, <laughs> right. I'll just go back to first one I see Stan the Man, Lacazette channeling the spirit of Emil Heskey. But he worked so hard for the team. That's right. It's it's at the end of the day, we all like to see that on the pitch. Against Chelsea specifically, he worked his socks off and anyone could see that. And we were all sort of praising him for that performance. But at the end of the day, he is our number nine. And not scoring an away goal for a year is just simply not good enough. He's never been um, 
someone that's ever struck me as being the type of striker who will always guarantee you 20 goals a season. I've always seen him as more of a, you know, it's sort of the, maybe the 15 to 20 goal maximum uh, sort of season striker, but he's not been hitting that sort of form for us. And when we are relying on him, like when Aubameyang was out for three games and he's just not coming up with the goods, we can't carry players like that anymore. And we've got goals to reach. I don't think this season is over by a long stretch. I can see us finishing this year, this season rather, very, very strongly. And we need goals. We need players to, to start scoring goals. And he's just not doing it. So he needs some time out of the team, in my opinion. Glenn agrees. Lacquer is in a slump. Bench him. He was our player of the year last year. It was a poor season last year, as it turned out, but he was the best of a bad bunch, and I don't think anyone complained when he was named our Supporters Player of the Year. And well, obviously the supporters voted for him, so not many people could have uh, complained about it. Um, Alex, he's been flexing too much. What, his butt cheeks, maybe? He's got a big enough uh, butt to be flexing. Um <laughs> Lacazette looks shagged out. Yeah, I'm sure you, well, you, you googled his uh, private life problems, personal problems. Alex, overthinking things. He's not that type of striker. He works on instinct. Mm, I'm not sure who you're talking about there. Glenn, the AFC fan base is like my 18-year-old daughter. Always drama where there is none. <laughs> I'm glad I haven't got daughters, Glenn. I've got three boys and I'm very pleased. Pepe is Andrew, but he is too predictable. That's what I, I touched on that, Alex. I don't want him to be that predictable player. So that's why I'm I'm very much firmly behind the idea of him having that free roll across the front of the pitch, just letting him do what he wants to do. You see, this is the other thing. We have got this new pressing style, but when you've got a player like Pepe, I don't want him to be bogged down by having to track back too much. I, this is why I really want him to have a, a good run in the team alongside the long-term long right-back, Bellerin. Because the quicker they build up this relationship on the pitch, the better. Because when you, like I said, you don't pay 72 million quid for Pepe for him to be a defender, in my opinion. His role in the team is to create things at the sharp end of the pitch and start chipping in with goals and assists regularly. Now, I'm not saying I don't want him to press. Obviously, the defence starts from the front and the front three need to press. But once it gets past them, once the, the, play, the opposition have beaten that initial press at, the, at their end of the pitch, I don't want our front three tracking all the way back. I want them to stay on the shoulders of the, the, the defenders ready to attack. Now, that just makes sense to me. And I don't want Pepe to be running over the pitch, knackering himself out. And the same goes for all of our front three. That's not their role for, a, for as far as I'm concerned. The way I see a football team, and I always like to look at things in a very common sense way. Now, the way I see a football team, obviously... 
it's, it's like a, re a relay race for me. So when you've got the baton, now apart from having the the four four by one hundred, it's obviously only a, it, it's a three it's a three section thing. So the defence have got their baton, they do their bit, and they pass the baton onto the midfielders. The midfielders run along the pitch, pass it on to the attackers, and then once the attackers uh, have done their bit and they've done their pressing. And they, then they pass the baton back to the midfield and so on and so on. I don't want the defenders to be... I want the defenders to defend. I want the midfields to connect the defence and the attack. And I want the attack to attack and score goals. I don't want our expensive strikers knackering themselves out, running all the way back, up and down the pitch, up and down the pitch, like the, the, you know, the full-backs do. That's their job. So when the fullbacks have got their good relationships on the pitch overlapping on the uh, outside that is when you know Pepe should do his bit defensively to a point at the sharp end of the pitch like I say and let the fullbacks do the rest of the defending so anyway that's why I want a fluid front three much in the same way that Liverpool, Liverpool's front three are set out. They're, they're always popping up at different sides of the pitch and that's the way it should be because it confuses the defence and it gets the best out of the player's individual skill and talent. So, for me, that's the way it, sh it should be. And I don't want Pepe to be a predictable player. I want him to be able to do whatever he wants and scare the living daylights out of the defenders. Because we've already seen in his uh, early part of his Arsenal career, at the beginning of the, the season, when we played Liverpool, and that game still pisses me off because we were... Oh, I don't want to go there, but we could have done a lot more in that game. And Pepe was, was scaring the life out of the world's best centre-back, Virgil van Dijk. But he was put too much on a leash in that game, as far as I'm concerned. And... If we'd have gone out with that mentality, which I, I believe we would have done under Mikel Arteta, where we didn't worry about what the, the opposition was going to do to us, but we concern ourselves with what we can do against the opposition. And I said this at the time, going back to uh, that match in particular on podcast or what I was doing at the time, I said, I just hope that we went out with that sort of um, mentality because I'd rather go down swinging then go down being bent over the kitchen table by Liverpool, um, which is what we ended up doing. Just giving them too much respect and not giving them something to think about with the players that we could put out on the pitch. And so we, we saw in that game, England straight away, and this was only, what, the third game of the season, I think it was, where we played Liverpool, or maybe the fourth uh, game of the season. Pepe showed then what skill he's got and how frightening he can be on the pitch. And it was widely noted at the time that he was the only player to sort of dribble past uh, Virgil van Dijk at that point. And he just did it with ease. And I think that if he, if he could have that sort of free reign uh, across the front of the pitch, then we would see Pepe frighten the living daylights out of uh, defenders next season. Um, let's have a look at some more of these comments. 
I like Pepe, but it's fair to say we got rinsed on the feet. It, I don't, I, I do not care. That's one another thing, Stan. And I completely take your point, but it's another thing that pisses me off about naming the fee every time Pepe's name is mentioned. It has to be accompanied by his price, and uh, that's nothing to do with Pepe. He didn't set the the price. Let's just forget about the price. And the same with Ozil, and I'm going to come on to Ozil actually very shortly. Um, but I, I know, well, I, I, I'm not. Uh, let me go on to Ozil now because I have said so many times that I'm I'm not an, an Ozil fan, but I wanted the same as Arteta. I wanted all the players to have. Uh, a clean slate under his tenure and I said at the time I want Ozil to have a run of games again because like I said earlier on in the podcast and I've said a hundred times before all players need a run of games to get their form etc 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 Ozil's had that now under Arteta and he has shown in no uncertain terms, that he should not be in the team. And I'm glad that he's had that time. I'm really glad that what I wanted was for Ozil to get that run of games, get his match fitness and sharpness and form, etc. And I wanted more than anything for Ozil to get back to form and to start showing what type of player he really can be. But I've been let down, same as everyone else, and he has not delivered at all. Now, I've heard other podcasters saying, oh, you shouldn't criticise us, it's not about the, uh, you know, the just scoring goals, just, score, just having the assists, blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm sorry, but in his position, it is about that, because the fact that he is just keeping the flow of, of the play going, and keeping hold of the ball and passing. I'm sorry, but any player who is capable of playing in the Premier League should be able to be capable of doing what Ozil is doing. So if that's not the point of Ozil, then Ozil hasn't got a point as far as I'm concerned. So he needs to be the first player out the door. And I don't believe these rumours, I really don't believe these rumours about the end of the transfer window, Ozil having the opportunity to have been sold uh, to, I think it was, um, you know, some Arab club or, or something like that, uh, to play over in Dubai or, you know, wherever wherever it was. And if you look at the people that were, were reporting that, they were no marks that were reporting it and they had no kind of source, you know, quoted at all. So it's just all a load of bollocks as far as I'm concerned, just stir, scaremongering and, and all this, trying to stir up some mischief. I don't believe for one second that we wouldn't have um, taken the opportunity to get him off our wage bill. But we're stuck with, I've said it a hundred times, we're stuck with Ozil until the day his contract runs out and I thought that it would be better to make use of Mesut Ozil whilst we've got him rather than not use him at all. 
and it just hasn't worked out that way. I, I, I cannot wait for the day Mes Ozil leaves the club because he is one of the last sort of remnants, really, of the old Arsenal that was complacent, that had no urgency, that was too comfortable. Uh, um, under the latter days of Arsene Wenger, there was no sort of recriminations for poor performance. You were still picked the next game. And I just want all of that gone. I want the whole fucking lot swept out of the club. And we, we've made some good strides to, to do that. Um, I was also along the same lines of thinking for Granite Xhaka. Uh, I mean, I still he's, he's still not an Arsenal long-term quality player as far as I'm concerned, but I, I have to take my hat to him. There you go, Granite. Um, he has done fantastically well under Arteta, and at the moment, I think it would have been... If we'd have got rid of him in, in January, I think it would have been damaging, actually, to the team because it is apparent, easily apparent, that he is a very, very popular player in the dressing room players really like Granite Xhaka and I think it would have been a bit damaging to the squad morale this for the rest of this season if we if we had have sold him and I'm glad the way that he's integrated back into the team I know how yeah especially you Glenn if you're still watching I know that what your thoughts on him are about the not apologizing I just don't I don't give monkeys about that to be honest all I care about is what players perform like during a match on the pitch. And you can't fault Granite Xhaka for his attitude, his application, and um, the way he sort of handled himself um, since Arteta's taken over. So all I go, not just on about, about Arsenal, in life, I if, if people come up to me and say, oh, don't, you know, don't talk to that person. They're not very nice. I don't take a notice of anything like that. I like to treat people the way that they treat me. If if someone's not giving me any shit, well, I ain't got a problem with them then. It's only, I like to make my own mind up about people. I like to make my own up, mind up about players and, and so on. I can only judge people and um, players of Arsenal of what they do on the pitch and the way they represent the club at that particular point. And um, if they're playing crap, I will say that they're playing crap. If they're doing well, I will give them credence and say, yes, they've had a really good game. It's very, exactly the same about Mustafi. You, you've all probably seen my outbursts on Twitter uh, during a game about Mustafi when he's made mistakes, etc., etc. But I've been the first person to put my hand up and say fair play to to him for the way that he's come back um following the, the horrendous i mean i'm sure what granite Xhaka has received on social media from so-called arsenal fans has been nothing compared to what mustafi's received i should imagine i, I can only doesn't bear thinking about what sort of abuse he must have been receiving um from so-called fans but um, the way he's handled it and come back has shown an awful lot of mental strength and he has done really well, bar that one horrific mistake against um, Chelsea when I, I had an outburst after that mistake straight away. And that is why I'm staying away from 
Twitter in the immediate aftermath of, well, during and after, immediately after games because I need to sort of uh, <laughs> calm down a bit sometimes because I know I can go off on one. But what I don't do is at the players directly. I just think that's just wrong. It's, it's unnecessary. And unless it's a positive thing, but uh, then I will. But if it's um, a rant, if it's uh, negative stuff, uh, I would say I'm trying to cut that out altogether. I'm trying to be good. Um, it wasn't a New Year's resolution, but it probably could have been. But I'm trying my best to sort of restrain on that. But I would never act players anyway. And, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, against Burnley at the weekend, I, I would say that Mustafi was probably the man in the match, to be perfectly honest, because he was fault, I think he was faultless. And he's not the biggest and tallest of defenders, but I'll tell you what, he ring he wins pretty much all of his aerial duels and um, his passing, uh, passing was clean and, and concise. He, he made some very good diagonals and um, yeah, I, I can't fault him. So when, when a player has played well, I'll, I'll completely uh, say that they've played well. Let's have a look at some more of these comments. Um, I see wake-up signs from Pepe. Everyone views things differently. Fair to say, rinse, stand, no too early for that proclamation that's from Glenn I just think 72 mil was too much Stan said well again it, of course it was but we didn't pay 72 million up front we as everyone knows as all the media love, love to point out we're paying in instalments for Pepe I think it was an initial was it an initial 20 million down payment and then the rest over the, the remaining four years so if we keep him for the full five years and end up paying 72 million for him I think we would have done well Stan because that would have meant that we've got a great player on our hands which I, I believe we have but if he stays for the full five years and we do pay for the, the full 72 million for him then I think we <laughs> will have got very good value for money in the long term if you put it that way um, if he doesn't work out next season and we end up selling him early, then we, I don't, I, very, I doubt very much whether we'll actually lose money on him the way that uh, transfer fees are going. Put it that way. He's still got age on his side. He's got a lot of resale value. So, and it's not his fault. Like I said, it's not his fault, the 72 million. So I think we just need to drop it. Let's just judge him on his performances on the pitch and let's not just drag him down with his uh, weighty price tag all the time. Alex from Cannonfodder, if you compare the likes of Saka, Martinelli to Pepe, I just don't think you would say Pepe was our record signing. I see what you mean, comparing them to... But Martinelli is just a freak of nature. He's born to be a superstar. He's one of those players that is just taken to it like a duck to water. And it, it, it's widely reported. Everyone knows, and I've talked about it before, that I think since the age of 12, he's been, you know, groomed to be the player that he's becoming already. Um, his family took it very seriously. And what was especially unusual about that was that not only was he sort of groomed to be a professional footballer from a very young age as a child, 
he was groomed to be a player fit enough and strong enough to play in Europe as well. That was the whole game. That was the whole aim for Martinelli to be, not to, to become a player in Brazil, to, but to be moving to Europe at a very young age. And yeah, it's, it's just been frightening the way that he's adapted. But I've been, I said right from, I mean, go back to my tweets and my podcast from the beginning of the season. After the Fiorentina game, I was gushing about Martinelli and I've just been expecting it, really. I just I noticed immediately during that very, very first pre-season game on Tour of America how good he was going to be and how exciting he was. And, uh, yeah, I just, well, long may it continue. I, I, I can see him being a very, very special player in the next uh, year or two. Uh, Stan, man, it's a lot of dough for a guy with one peg. Yeah, again, how many players throughout history have been very, very one-footed and had very, very successful careers, though? It doesn't mean that you... I mean, let's face he's, he's not. he's very one-footed. I'm not going to deny that. But he can use his right foot as well. I think it was the Chelsea game where he put in a fantastic cross for Martinelli with his right foot. Absolutely pin perfect, and Martinelli volleyed it. If you remember, just went off target. Um, but that was a very handy cross with his right. So I don't think he's, he's, he's massively uh, one. Well, he's one foot, but I think he can use his right. Put it that way. Glenn, it's the market. Look what Chelsea paid for a very average Pulisic. They were in. So very, very good point, Glenn. Um, yeah. I know who I would rather have, Pulisic or Pepe. I would have Pepe every day. Um, Glenn. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> well, for the, for the benefit of the audio listeners, Glenn's put, I'll let you have the last word. I'm trying to listen to the old man ranting. Thank you very much, Glenn. <laughs> I'm glad I couldn't hear you earlier, you bastard. Um, Stand the man. You can turn the chat off. It's, it's distracting you. Um, Alex, Edu came to Arsenal with a point to prove. He bought Martinelli and Marie to Arsenal. Give that man a pay rise. Do you know what? I One of the best broadcasters I most enjoy listening to is Tim Vickery. I, I, even though he's a fucking Spurs fan. I do really like that guy and uh, I love the way he talks about football. He's so passionate about it. And um, he is just, uh, he's been going on for months about um, Pablo Marie and he's just glowing with praise for the guy. He is under no doubts whatsoever that we've got an absolute bargain and he thinks that he's going to be a big success. And, that's good enough for me. I'm really looking forward to seeing Pablo Marie. It's going to be very interesting to see how he's going to uh, be integrated into the team. Obviously, he plays in the same position as um, David Luiz, but because he's, we went after him specifically because he's a, a left footer, I can only see that he's obviously going to be the left of the, the, 
the central defensive partnership, which means that David Luiz will have to shift the cross um, to the right-hand side. And how's David Luiz going to sort of take to that? Being the sort of, well, the the elder statesman of the of the squad, um, I think, and I've said this before, I think that David Luiz is the real captain of the team, um, in all but name. So yeah, how's David Luiz going to take that? I, I think he'll be all right with it. I don't. He's got this big reputation as I don't know, not, you know, being sort of low, you know, um, what's the word? Not a troublemaker, but no, far from it. But he's got a big character, David Luiz. Put it that way. But I think he's professional enough to be a very, very strong team player as well. And I think we can see that lately more than ever. So I don't think he's going to have an issue with it. But I think that hopefully, I I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm predicting something that I can't really predict because I've never seen Pablo Marie play a full um, match. But everything that I've heard would lead me to believe that he would be an excellent partner for David Luiz and... They've both got fantastic passing ability. Really, really strong passing ability. So I, I, I'm very I'm very excited about seeing Pablo Marie in the team alongside David Luiz, fingers crossed. And it could be excellent because of the way that they're ping, if they're both pinging these passes over. It, it also, playing out for the back as we do now, and we're doing it a lot better as you've all probably seen and noticed. It's not scary anymore, like it was under under Unai Emery. Um, if they are both excellent options for um, the goalkeeper to pass to, not just having to pass the Louise because of his passing, but if he's got the option of both of them, as well as the, the full-backs, of course, then that will give us a whole new dimension and... If he's as good a passer as uh, I'm led to believe that he is, Pablo Marie, then if they're both doing it, pinging these passes either to the either wide or straight to on to the foot of a Bamiang, like like they did on uh, Louise did that amazing, beautiful pass to a Bamiang against Burnley, which what the fuck that shot was? I mean, God knows. I mean, I would have not put my house on on him scoring that goal, but. I would have put, you know, it's a sizable chunk of money on, on him scoring that goal. But that finish was incredible, wasn't it, from Aubameyang? But anyway, that's by the by. If, if they both can do that, then that's going to be very exciting. And yeah, let's just hope that he gets into the team and, and starts uh, showing what he can do. Um, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. I haven't said hello to you yet. Uh, Mr. Arsenal Podcast. To all the idiots slating Arteta already in seven games, we've had four clean sheets. And I, again, thank you very much, Ryan, for stick, sticking up for me. Great stats data. Thank you. From Glenn. Ryan is in the house. If we can see the improvement Arteta has brung already, why can't others in the fan base? Who, uh, I'm really hoping, Ryan that it's a very small minority that are 
questioning Arteta already. <laughs> Glenn, the ITM. I have my hideous wife and kids distracting me too, Stan. How's your wife anyway with her broken ankle, Glenn, by the way? And have you had to shower the Wookiee recently? That'd be interesting to know. <laughs> if LP come to the Emirates undefeated, or Liverpool, uh, we will get our revenge with a win. That'd be very, very sweet, wouldn't it? That'd be very sweet. Uh, Ryan, I think we will, Andrew. Just got the missing pieces sorted with our defence and midfield. Then once it's all sorted, we'll be cooking on gas in a far better situation than we are now. I, I believe so too. Uh, we are a midfielder and centre-back away from top four, says Glenn. Now, with um, I've heard a couple of podcasts who have said that we are definitely, and I don't know how true this is, but we are definitely keeping aside a sizable chunk of money and, and sort of the 60 to 70 million pound mark for the summer to sign a centre-back. I really hope that's true. And I really hope that we go for Upper Meccano. I don't know whether any, any of you guys have listened to the Stadio podcast. I really enjoy that podcast. Um, it's uh, they're based the, the the two guys that do it and Ryan Hun, who's an Arsenal fan, and oh, what oh God, his name's gone out of my head again. What is wrong with my brain lately? I must be getting old. Um, the other guy, I can't remember his name. Do apologise, but it's an excellent podcast, and um, the two guys that do it are actually based. They're English, but they're based over in in Germany. And they've openly stated, and they're very, very good uh, football guys. They're very good with their analytics and know everything about every club across Europe. It's incredible, their knowledge. They've said that unquestionably, Upamecano is the best centre-back in the Bundesliga this season. Now, that fills me full of massive hope. And if we can get that guy... Obviously, uh, he, I don't know whether he's just turned uh, turned 21 already, but he's either 20 or 21. And if Saliba comes in and is as good as the reports suggest that he is as well, who will be, I think, possibly just turned 19 when he joins in the summer, then what a centre-back pairing they will be together. And they they could be... France, the France national team centre-back pairing for the next decade easily. They will complement each other so well. And I'm sure that maybe throughout the, the the France sort of youth teams, the under-18s, under-19s or under-23s or whatever they may be, I'm sure they must know each other as as yeah, personally as well. So they could potentially strike up a partnership almost immediately and oh, it would be so exciting if they were our centre-back partnership for the next decade as well and they could be France's partnership as I said and wow you know to have those two massive strong athletic units at the back who are pacey uh, everything you could want in, in sort of a modern central defensive partnership then 
goodness knows. I mean, that could be as team-changing as the the Liverpool signing of Virgil van Dijk and um, Alisson. And it could be completely transformational. So keep your fingers crossed for that. I really hope that that rumour is true, that we have got some money for a big centre-back signing in the summer. I was very, very adamant about um, signing a, a, a defensive midfielder before as well. And I, I still would like to get that sorted as well. Uh, everyone knows my top choice would be party. Does the, I mean, those who just joined us recently, I mentioned about uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles earlier and whether he could be transformed into the right-hand side equivalent of what Greenwich Jack is doing on the left <coughs> at the moment under Arteta. And when the fullbacks are bombing on, obviously Xhaka has been filling in at the left side of defence um, when Saka's running down the pitch. I'm wondering whether Maitland-Niles could do the same on the right-hand side. He's a big unit, as we all know, very athletic. If he could be trained to fulfil that role on the right-hand side, so to cover when Bellerin is bombing down the right-hand uh, wing, then that would negate the issue and potential of having to buy someone like a, a Thomas Party, for example, or Decore from Watford, whoever is your preference in that position. So potentially that could save us, God knows, 50 million quid in the transfer market. So let's hope that that is why Cedric Suarez was brought in um, because of Arteta's thoughts of transforming Maitland-Niles into that particular role. Um, let's have a quick look, scroll down, catch up on these com uh, comments. Uh, stand the man. I know Pepe didn't set the fee, but the club chose to pay it. Exactly, but it doesn't mean that we still need to label it with him all the time. I'm sure it's weighing heavily on his shoulders enough already. So, much like the way that um, Derby County Football Club is now renamed Wayne Rooney's Derby County Football Club. Last season, it was Frank Lampard's Derby County. Let's not label Pepe. Pepe, 72 million. It's just pointless. It's just pointless. We all know the the, the, the figure and we don't need to keep labelling it on him all the time. Let's just judge him on the pitch. It'd just be so much easier. Ryan, that's what he's based his career on, his attacking attributes. Uh, I don't know what that... Arteta says he wants to build the current team around Ozil. We just have to deal with it, Andrew. I'm not happy about it either. I I think I've veered off the question about Ozil a little bit. I've said that he's just not... He's had the run of games. He's not fulfilling the role uh, in the team satisfactorily. He Since he's been back in the team under Arteta, I think he's only had one assist all season. No goals all season. Um, I think it's widely put out in the press that Alisson, the Liverpool goalkeeper, has got more assists this season than Mesut Ozil. It says it all really, doesn't it? I would 
for the rest of this season, I would much rather have. Willock go out on loan next next year, but the rest of this season, let's give Willock a go as often as possible in a sort of a midfield three. Not as far, quite as far advanced as Ozil was playing, but I would say they're completely different players. I know that before anyone starts bashing me, Ozil and Willock are completely opposite type of players. But Ozil is far more technically gifted. Willock is too raw. I know he's got some attributes to his game that need improving. That will improve with more minutes on the pitch and a good run in the in the team. But the overall package that Willock offers the team at the moment, in my opinion, offers the, the, the team on the pitch far more than the odd flashes of brilliance and the odd great pass from Ozil. The overall work rate, the positivity and the running with the ball that Willock can offer any it far outweighs the <coughs> what Ozil is bringing to the team and the fact that Willock is more than willing to actually have a shot as well and score a goal. Far, far more valuable to the team, in my opinion, at the moment than what Ozil is offering, which is next to nothing, let's face it. Um, and what you said as well, um, Ryan, saying that Emery wanted, said he wanted to build his tip. Sorry. Uh, Glenn, I beg your pardon. Glenn said Arteta said he wants to build a team around Ozil. He did at the beginning, but that is going to change over time, surely, because he's not blind, and he can see that Ozil is not delivering. At the end of the day, regardless of the fact that this season is, and the rest of this season in lots of supporters' cases, it's a, a far extended pre-season for Arteta to get to know all the players in the squad and uh, what he needs to do in the summer. This season isn't over yet and results are going to matter to the club and to Arteta. He's a proud guy. He wants the best for Arsenal. So he is still going to want... Um, you know, to win games. And if Lacazette and Ozil in particular are not performing and not contributing to the team in a, in a positive way, then he's going to have to make those tough decisions and, and leave them out. And people have doubted Arteta's strength of character to do that and saying, is he scared to drop these players? I have no doubts whatsoever that he's not. I have no doubts whatsoever that he's not scared to make those strong decisions. He is uh, perhaps giving them a bit too long so far. And I think against um, Burnley at the weekend, he showed in, in lots of cases his... Um, Lack of experience as a, as a head coach uh, for the first time, I think, uh, in his tenure. I'm not knocking you for it at all. Absolutely far from it. But um, I think he did make some mistakes with the 
the team lineup and the sub I think he's made a few mistakes in the in-game management and sort of the substitutions in his very short tenure. But I, for one, am not worried or concerned about that and I'm certainly not knocking him for it because at the end of the day, those types of things are the only the only way you're going to learn about that is in the the job, you know, on the job training, if you like. If anyone wasn't expecting that, then you're, I'm sorry, but you must be, you know, a simpleton. Because <laughs> even though he's not been a manager before, he's still been a coach uh, alongside one of the world's greatest ever managers for the last three and a half seasons. And he's not come in as a manager. He's come in as a coach. And his primary job is to coach the players that he's given and the squad as a whole. And I think he's doing that fantastically well. Now, as I said, because he hasn't been a head coach before, he hasn't got the experience of being in charge of the substitutions. Uh, although I'm sure he's been guiding, guiding his thoughts to Guardiola on the sidelines over the last uh, three and a half years, he it's not been his decision. So he's got got to come to terms with that. And he is learning, and I'm very, very happy to give him the time to learn um, and sort of learn from his mistakes because you have to make mistakes in life, no matter what you're doing, in order to learn from them. Um, so there you go. Um, Glenn, give props to Mustafio 2A. I have. I have given props to Mustafi. You must have uh, just missed out on that, Glenn. I gave him some high praise earlier on for his performances. Um, all players must be chosen on form alone. This is, so says Alex from Cannon Fodder, and nothing else. The thing with the thing is with Özil, I can honestly say I see a player who is really trying, but he's on the decline. You see, I I saw exactly that as well, Alex, in the first few games under Arteta the last couple of games I haven't seen it as much I think that he's the fact that you say that he's, he's been really trying he has still been better than what he was under Emery but it's I, I see a drop off in his um, trying if you like, his, uh, his effort, especially against his Burnley. I, I, I don't know. He, he, you look at his face during the match, and I know he's always got this, the same. He, he's, got, he's always got that. Well, he looks at E.T. But his facial expression at the moment is just, it's just screaming out to me that I, he's just given up because he not given up he's still yeah he's got a I can't remember who says it I think it was um Elliot it was Elliot from the Arsenal Vision podcast who put it exceptionally well and he said that he's got an incredible knack Mr Ozil of being on the fringes of everything that's happening happening on the pitch 
so he looks like he's very involved he's always in on the camera shot but he's always just that little bit far away enough to not have to get involved in that bit of play so he's got an uncanny way of, of, of looking like he's uh he's trying hard and you know tackling back and running back and and so on and so forth but without really ever having to get his hands dirty he Elliot put it a lot better than that but I totally agree uh, I think that he's he's just mastered that way of, of um, getting through a game without really doing much but looking like he's done a bit more than he has I think that's the best way I can put it I'm not a wordsmith like Elliot um, the 10 roll should be binned Two eights working with the DM. I totally agree, Stan. Late runs in the box, goals and assists, but also helping out the back when needed. Can't afford to have a static number 10. 100% totally agreed. Now, one thing I've forgotten to talk about, which is the um, sort of the last, maybe the last part that um, I'm going to discuss, and that's Sabios. Now, I've made no secret of my love for the guy I really really like Tobias and I, I just desperately want him to be another one that gets a run in the team um, to show Arteta what he can do and the, as each game goes by that's less and less and less likely I know that because Arteta is obviously planning uh, already for next season and it's unlikely that uh, we're going to be ending up buying Sabios because he's not getting any games and he's not been able to prove himself. And it was just sod's law and very, very unlucky that he was injured as Arteta joined the club. Now, when Arteta did join the club, Sabios was in Spain, back at Madrid, doing some rehab work. Uh, for a couple of weeks so he wasn't there to sort of welcome Arteta um, and then when he came back from Madrid uh, it was only I think it was uh, early part of um, January if I'm right if I'm correct maybe yeah early to mid part of January anyway so he hasn't actually had an awful lot of time um, working with Arteta and as I said earlier, it's obviously a very, very busy time of year anyway. And he's just been building back up his um, fitness after his sort of lengthy layoff. Um, but my theory is with why he's not getting any game time now that he is technically match fit and able to start. He wouldn't be on the bench if he, if he wasn't. Um, but my theory is that... It's not a sort of it's not a footballing matter. I think that, and this is completely my own thoughts and not based on anything other than reading that I have undertaken and a little bit of sort of investigative work that I've done looking on the internet and, and so on and so forth. Now I think that um, it could be a political matter, believe it or not. What I mean by that is that. It's been widely sort of um, publicised that back uh, back in 2015, 2016, 
Um, Sabaros tweeted, and the, and the tweet has since been uh, deleted, but he tweeted about um, his deep hatred of the Barcelona and the the Basque country and the Catalans, and he said that uh, he hoped that a bomb would be dropped on the Barcelona um, stadium whilst they were playing a game and kill all the, the bastard Basques or something along those lines. Don't quote me exactly, but worse to that effect. Now, Arteta is a Basque-born Catalan. So I think, personally, that Ceballos is not getting a, a look in because Arteta didn't like what Ceballos said, didn't like his thoughts. I think they've maybe had a bit of a disagreement about it. I think that Arteta probably doesn't like Ceballos as a person and his, you know, his sort of personal views. So there you go. I don't think it's a football thing at all. I, and that's my own point of view, my own thoughts. So it may not be true, but I think it's... Uh, I think that that's it, personally. I think that it's a, it's a political and sort of personality, per, personality clash and a political clash. So there you go. I don't know what your thoughts are. Put your comments in the box. Let me know. Mm. Now, going back to what Stan said about the 10 roles should be binned, two eights and a DM. Uh, I totally agree. And I think that we've got the players to do that um, quite nicely at the moment. Uh, not only nicely at the moment, but Again, going back to what I said earlier, I think that in next season and the season after, we'll get better and better and better in that front with the prominence of Willock, um, like I said, and also Gwenduzi, who I think he's going to be coached brilliantly under Arteta. I think the last few games, it's just showing that he's just um, not quite the headless chicken he used to be. Benduzzi. I think he's improving an awful lot. Um, I don't think long term it's he works very well with Granite Xhaka personally, but I think in a three, a midfield three, which I don't know whether Arteta will ever sort of turn to. I think he's very very set on his four-two-three-one uh, formation, but I can't help thinking that. Um, a 4-3-3 is the way forward and I think that uh, with Willock and Guendouzi progressing fantastically under Arteta um, the future looks really good there um, and I would love to have seen Tobias uh, be part of a three I really would but I can't see that happening anymore unfortunately and I'm a bit sad about that really because I, I think we've had a wasted opportunity with Sabayos, I think he really could have been a, an excellent player moving forward. And who knows, maybe we might get him again in the future. But um, I think we've missed a trick there. But uh, like I say, I can't help believe, but think that it's a, a non-footballing situation. Uh, let me just see. Let's just get back up to speed with these. Um, 
comments. Sunny TV unfiltered. Welcome, mate. Great to, to see you. Uh, Pepe has been pants, mate. We're a week aside without Mickey and Iwobi, and I can't. Something I've just said. Can't believe I just said that. Maybe I don't know. I don't agree, uh, Sunny. But you're very, very welcome to your opinion, and I respect your opinion very, very much. I um, I really don't think that um, Iwobi. I, I wouldn't have been unhappy to have kept Iwobi. I wasn't. Uh, uh, I really wasn't in favour particularly of selling him. Mkhitaryan, I thought it was a massive... I mean, if you think that Pepe has been pants, Mkhitaryan, gee, he was full-on fucking bloomers, mate, um, let alone pants. What a waste of uh, of money he was. I know we didn't pay for him uh, as a transfer fee, but his wages, bloody hell. Might as well have just poured him down the bog. Hmm... Uh, going on quite a few bit of content about uh, comments about players who were very one-footed. <laughs> um, Ryan, by the way, guys, want to say thanks for the likes and retweets. We're setting a fundraiser. Yeah, Ryan, have a look on Twitter, which is uh, at. Was it Mr. Arsenal 89, I believe? Is that right, Ryan? I'll just double-check that and, and confirm it in a bit. But if you look at Ryan's uh, Twitter page, uh, he's, he's put a tweet on about uh, doing a fundraiser for Prostate Cancer UK. Um, so please have a look at that. Go on and um, donate to that. Because uh, obviously, as we can all appreciate, that's a very, very worthwhile charity. So please uh, support Ryan in that. That would be... Uh, very much appreciated. I'm sure it's at Mr. Arsenal 89. Um, Glenn, comment about what I mentioned about playing out the back. It's still a little scary playing out the back because Leno has been hesitating distributing lately. I, I, I think it's been a lot more... I mean, I've been a hell of a lot more comfortable. Um personally i haven't been anywhere near as worried playing out from the back and i think it's actually been quite a a joy <laughs> to watch us play out of some very difficult situations with a a hell of a lot more confidence lately i've uh, i've enjoyed it um glenn like my comment about the wookie that's <laughs> uh Sunny, there hasn't been a massive improvement because these players are just not up to it. 10 out of 10 press conferences, 5 out of 10 performances. Again, I, 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 you know how much I like you, uh, Sonny, and respect you, and I just don't agree, though. I just think that we've been lacking in goals and turning the draws into wins, 100%, obviously. But the performances and the improvement in the confidence of the players... And the improvement of the players overall as, as a, a team and as a unit and individually, it's just been unrecognisable. And bearing in mind, Sonny, once again, he's been in charge for 41 days and he's not had a lot of time on the pitch, uh, training pitch rather, to set up the team in his own style as yet. 
he's done everything the right way. It's so much more long-standing and beneficial long-term for us to not just be one of these clubs to get an initial um, man new manager bounce and to everyone to get carried away like Man United last season with uh, Solskjaer and then reality kicks in and you crash and burn. What Arteta is doing is building the right foundations and building a club from the bottom up. So he obviously had to do a SWOT analysis when he came into the, the team and immediately as weakness, which is the one thing you've got to conquer immediately because you can't attack properly without a sound defence. Everything is built around a quality defence and he has sorted out the way that we play and created a much safer defensive unit immediately and we are home overnight pretty much he made the same players and as i said earlier no proper fullbacks even he's included mustafi he's included socrates louise you name it and he's built a defense out of those players the same players that we had before and he's made us look like a solid defensive unit. And that is a solid foundation to build upon. We will start getting the goals. We've got the quality. We need to improve uh, the quality in midfield still. And to link the, the, the three areas of the pitch better. That will come. That will come with time. Give the Arteta time. But what he's done is built the solid foundation. And then we can go from there. And the rest will come. And I am very confident of a very strong finish to the season, personally. A lot of these draws will turn into wins. I am very, very confident of that. And I'll tell you what, we got the better... I mean, you have to look long-term. You have to. You can't just look at um, five-minute wins here and there and there and keep chopping and changing managers. We've got a manager that will lead us for many years, as long as you don't get poached away by a Barcelona or something in, in, a, in a couple of years or two or three years' time. If we can keep hold of Arteta, then we are our future is looking very bright. And I'll tell you here and now that those people that wanted Mourinho to be our new boss, we have got by far the best deal. And I'm, I'm going to include Everton in that as well with our Angelotti. I would not swap Arteta for in either of those two, period. Because long term, we have got a very, very promising young manager. And I, I've got every faith in, in the guy to deliver. Mm. Ray, Arsenal Fan Circle channel, definitely check that out. He said, I'm back, gents. Thank you very much, Ray. Great to have you here. Um, Stan the Man. I haven't read this one yet. So, having Ozil is like that guy who spends all his money on a Ferrari Mondial. Everyone on the inside knows it's worst of the Ferraris, but he don't care because his key fob has that sweet logo on it. <laughs> 
Oh, I don't, totally agree. Stan, that's such a good analogy, Andrew. Much better than my Ferrari bollocks, but I'm full of cold. Well, I hope it's just a cold. Well, I hope for your sake, Stan, that your wife rings and says that she's going to bring back some kebabs today because that means you're on to a winner, doesn't it? Mobe Guna, welcome on board. Big up yourself, my G. Same to you, Mobe. You've got to come on one day. Got to come on one day. Um, Mr. Arsenal Podcast. I think we're pretty much caught up on the comments now. It's 2-2 now. Um, I can't remember. You have to remind me. I can't, I, I've been so wrapped up in all my talking, I've completely forgotten who's playing today. I think it's Southampton. Yeah, I, I can't remember. Put on there, Ryan, who's, who's playing? Remind me. Right, well, I'm going to say um, that I'm going to be finishing up. I've been going, I can't believe, I cannot believe I've been going on for nearly uh, two hours. Um, so I'm going to give myself five more minutes. If anyone has got any questions that you'd like my opinion on, please stick them in the comment section now or forever hold your peace because... I will do my best to get through any kind of questions that you may have to get my opinion on. Um, and I'll hang on now just for a few minutes. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if everyone wants to chat, um, I'll I just quickly um, explain as well. I had every intention and I wanted to do a You Could Be The Star show tonight. Um, but because of the issues I've got with not being able to hear Glenn when he came on earlier. I haven't sort of followed on with that because I want to sort of uh, have a look at what the problem is on my um, stream. So apologies for that if anyone was hoping to come on. Um, with regards to the technical difficulties, I didn't want to sort of uh, get any anyone's hopes up and I didn't want to be disappointed again if it didn't work so sorry about that and sorry uh, to you too Glenn um, right Ray from Arsenal Fan Circle most needed area of pitch for signings this summer now I've changed my mind a little bit on it um, well I mean in, in an ideal world I really do hope that the rumours are true that we have got um, a big a lot of money set aside for a centre-back signing because I said earlier, Upamakano would be amazing. Um, he would be my ideal signing. I also wanted previously, and I still would love it, I mean, I'm just trying to be realistic. I would love Upamakano, Thomas Party, and probably a Jack Grealish. That would be absolutely mental. That would be fantastic. I don't know. I'm holding back on the defensive midfielder now because of the way that the team is set up and the way that Arteta is looking to play, where he's got Xhaka sort of um, staying, sort of uh, dropping back into the defensive left position to cover Saka when he's bombing down the left or TNE when he hopefully gets back into the team, covering there. Um, and whether we're going to be looking at maybe, in my opinion, whether he's looking at 
make the nails to cover the sort of the right area of the pitch and dropping into the right back slot when Bellerin's bombing forward. And if if he's looking to play like that, whether it's AMN or not, then we may not have um, a need for another central defensive midfielder depending on yeah, on his plan. So I'm just holding back a bit on that and whether we could allocate the funds elsewhere. Now also, Matt, this depends on whether we sell Lacazette or Aubameyang or both in the summer as well. So the most important area of the pitch is an Urza replacement as far as I'm concerned. So my ideal, I mean, I'd love Hakim Zayek, but he doesn't really play in the right type of role to link the sort of the midfield and uh, attack as such. He's, he's more of a, a sort of a wide forward himself. I'd, lo I'd love that guy um, I'd love to get Hakim Zayek on board um, but Grealish to me would be a dream midfield signing hard working um, great dribbler we need a really good runner um, and dribbler of the ball to link the midfield and attack and he can score a goal as well and he's a good passer a very underrated passer actually um, so to me, he seems absolutely perfect for our needs and be a great um, Ramsey replacement because he also, he's played everywhere for Villa. He he plays as a he's played as, as a six. He's played as an eight. He's played as a ten. He's played as a wide forward. He's just so adaptable, and he will do what the the team needs. He's a very, very strong team player, uh, so I think he would be absolutely ideal. Most improved player under Arteta, Ray's asked. Very, very good question. I think uh, I can't think of any players that haven't really improved under Arteta, but. I'm not going to include Saka in the as an answer because he's only just recently sort of come into the team this season as a sort of a proper first team player, so we can't really use him as um, a gauge from last season. So from last season to this season, I would say personally. It's a tough one. In a, in a very, very short space of time, I'm going to have to say Guendouzi under Arteta because I've visibly seen him improve over the last couple of games. Probably Bournemouth. And then he, he wasn't incredible against Burnley at all. Um, but... He's still showing that he's a hell of a lot more disciplined. So Guendouzi, to me, because he was a very, very much, I mean, I, I put it on Twitter a few times, that he's, he was just running in, all over the pitch and doing what the fuck he wanted under Emery. And he was very much a headless chicken. Um, but he, he's 
shown even just very recently that he's becoming more of a disciplined player. And I'm just glad that Arteta came in when he did because I think that if it was left much longer, if Emery had stayed till the end of this season, and God forbid Raul had got his way and given Emery an extension to contract, Guendouzi would have been beyond repair, I think, because he desperately needed a good coach to give him some guidance because he would have had too many bad habits that would have been too hard to coach out of him after a little while. And I'm just thankful that Arteta came in when he did and got his hands on Winduzi to really, because he, he could be an incredible midfielder. Uh, going forward he's just got the ceiling is very very high and if he's coached properly then the sky's the limit for the lad and like I said in a good way <laughs> and it don't take this the wrong way but he's our Robbie Savage because we all love him for the shithousery that he, he, he dishes out but every other fan of every other team and every other player of every other team and every other manager of every other team and every fucking media representative will hate him because of this shithousery. And he's going to be the sort of player that everyone hates, but we all love because of the moments that he's given us, like that rugby tackle against Zaha, which will live long in the memory. And that's the best <laughs> moment of this season for me. Yeah, amazing. Stan the Man has put class snatches look good under Mikel. That's a very good shout as well. Uh, all of the defenders include right away back throughout the, the whole team. AMN massively improved. I think Louise has always been a good... Like I said, I've always liked Louise. I've always loved the way he plays. And he is just massively overexposed under Emery with the way that the team was set up. It was just ridiculous. Um, but Socrates, who is not one I like, has improved a lot. Um, clearly, um, Mustafi has got his confidence back and was faultless against Burnley. Um, very, very underrated passer of the ball, I think, actually, Mustafi. Um, I can't remember which game it was. I think it was... Um, it might have been the Nottingham Forest match, actually, um, where he did the most incredible the long diagonal ball out to Tierney, I believe it was, who did an incredible cross over to Martinelli, who headed it in and beautiful I love that goal beautiful goal incredibly underrated header that was but the the ball from Mark, from Mustafi and the cross from Tierney was both things of beauty so yeah really enjoyed that now I guess it's over two hours now so I'm gonna call an end to the uh, show I'd love to say Thank you to everyone that's been watching. You've been all fantastic in the comments. Really, really enjoyed it. Some really good um, comments there. So thank you to Ray. Thank you to Data. 
I'm just going to say thank you to Alex from Cannon Fodder TV. Please go and have a look at his channel as well. Arsenal Fan Circle channel. Fantastic. Uh, Ryan from the uh, Cannon, uh, Mr. Arsenal channel. Beg your pardon. Glenn, who's got uh, some very, very entertaining videos on his YouTube channel. Glenn DITM. Please have a look at that as well. Um, Mobe Guna, big up yourself again, my G. Thank you for tuning in. Stan the man, please have a look out for his videos. The Groover, <laughs> the Groover from Vancouver, but it's the Goonas in Vancouver. Um, they do some fantastic uh, videos as well after each match, and they are on the Canon Fodder TV channel. So please have a look at those. Um, who else am I missing out? Uh, Good Gary 99 thank you very much indeed. Sunny TV, Unfiltered, another fantastic channel. Do some great videos in there. Please go and join up with Sunny as well. Love watching those videos. Um, must come on one day as well, Sunny. One day that we can get uh, our diaries together. Um, Danny, I don't need to explain gotta watch the uh, Birdcamp Wonderland fantastic uh, podcast um, and anyone else I'm scrolling around with loads and loads of uh, uh, comments so thank you ever so much thank you to those that are listening to the audio version of the podcast please 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 give us a like before you go and subscribe to the channel hit the notification button so that you are notified and don't miss any of these live shows as they come up and um, yeah, tell your friends. Listen to the audio versions of the podcasts. Uh, it's on all the major platforms, so give us a follow. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star review. I don't know whether I've got any of those yet, so that would be massively helpful. And uh, to get the name of the podcast out there and sort of build up the, the viewership, that would be really appreciated. Thanks again for joining us, and come on you gooners.